Welcome to Trash Compactor. I'm Josh, and today I'm joined by Murray. Oh, hello. And Chris. Hey, y'all. And today we're going to be talking about mental health and mental health as it relates to Star Wars. This discussion is going to be mostly from an in-universe perspective about certain characters and things they went through. But for some context, we will probably be discussing our own personal experiences in the real world. I know that all three of us have had our own experiences dealing with mental health struggles. And, you know, one of the things just right off the bat, I'm wondering if you guys can think of a specific time in your life where some piece of fiction, whether it's Star Wars or not, has gotten you through a tough time. Or if, you know, maybe you saw something in a character in something you read or something you watched that, you know, you kind of saw yourself in maybe and it sort of helped you through what you were going through. Well, um, for me, this is like the worst answer to give to a question like that, but it's just like all the time, constantly. Like I just, <laughs> and so I, um, well, this is a really good to talk about visuals in an audio uh, medium, but like, so I have a lot of tattoos and almost all of them are like some sort of pop cultural reference that I use as like little, like, um, almost like memento style, except for like an image, like things to remind myself of. Sure. Yeah. Um, and so I have like a, a ton of stuff like from, you know, like one of my favorites I'm showing them, but the audience can hear it. it's like two fingers snuffing out a match. And that's from Lawrence of Arabia, because, you know, when he says, he says, what's the, he goes, ow, that hurts. What's the secret? And he goes, the secret is not minding that it hurts. And now they're talking about snuffing out a match. But for me, that's just like life <laughs> in general. Like, you know, like, oh, what's the secret to, you know, like sorting through mental health and stuff like that. And, you know, all this stuff that sucks. Like, well, the, the only secret is like just doing it and not minding that it sucks. Like, so I have, I'm like memento with all like pop culture stuff. And every time I read something or watch something, I'm like, Oh, I get it. I get it. This guy. Awesome. And like, so like uh cloud strife from uh, uh, final fantasy seven, like the, he saves the world. And then he's just like clinically depressed. <laughs> like after that, I'm like, I get it. I get it. I've never saved the world, but I get it. So no, for me, it's it, like man. all the I'm, time, always. Uh, I was just going to say, no, I mean, I, I hear that. So, you know, my, my personal experience with depression was, uh, thankfully really limited because it was, it was, situ it was a situational depression, uh, which I know a lot of people struggled with during COVID. Um, and it took me a little while to, to identify that that was what was going on. Um, and, and get myself a therapist and, and really talk through it. But, but much in the same way, I also have tattoos that help like remind me, um, especially when I was depressed and having trouble getting off the couch. Like it was, it was part of why I was depressed was because you know, I, it's important to me to be a very active and involved father uh, as a stay-at-home parent. And I just, I wasn't doing that while I was depressed before I realized what was happening. Even after I realized what was happening, I was better about it. But, um, you know, I would like try an activity with, with my kiddo outside of like television for like two minutes. And when it wasn't successful, I was back on the couch and he was back in front of the TV. And I just, I felt like absolute shit about it. You know, I felt like an awful parent because, you know, here's this, this, this three-year-old and, you know, four-year-old and why is he in front of the TV as much as he is? And it helped because that I could look at my tattoo, the one that I got for my son, um, on my arm, on the inside of my arm where it's, where it's prominent and I can see it. Um, and it would remind me of what I was trying to do for him and what I was trying to give him and that sometimes I'm going to come up short, but this was a reminder to be patient, to, 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 um, to, to treat myself with some grace. Um, but 
specific to your question, Josh, I'll say that I definitely had that experience during COVID, uh, rewatching West Wing. West Wing helped me a lot. It made me feel better. I know it's, you know, especially uh, in the time of Trump, it was very much a fantasy, but it made me feel better. Hmm. And Avatar The Last Airbender, which I discovered during COVID. And it was so light and funny. And later on, yeah, it, it got heavier, but it was, it was real. Um, so, so those are definitely some instances of like things that, that really literally helped me when I was, when I was at low points. You know, one of the things that I think Star Wars has leaned into a lot more recently is showing us characters, showing us our heroes struggling. And, you know, as someone who has had and continues to have mental health struggles, I find it very, I think inspiring is the word I'm looking for to see characters, especially heroic characters who have done larger than life things, struggling with life the way that I struggle sometimes. You know, I think that makes me relate more to these kind of unrelatable characters. You can do something heroic and your experience of life in the world can still be really hard. And those struggles can be just as hard, if not harder than the actual physical fights or the, the, absolutely the, the outward struggles. No, absolutely. And I, and I, these are characters that I am, you know, I, I had, have said in the past that, you know, uh, growing up, even though they're very different, I really liked Batman and I really liked Spider-Man. Batman was the superhero I, I wanted to be, but Spider-Man was the superhero that I could be. And I think that's what we see with some of these characters in Star Wars, the way you're describing them, you know, is that they're more accessible. It's not just, oh, I wish I were that character. It's I can relate to this character better now through their struggles. So I, I could be this character. I could relate better. And that's, you know, I think that makes for, for much more compelling storytelling. No, I agree. And I also think this is something that we'll probably touch on, but I do find it very interesting we're going to be talking about three characters in Star Wars in particular today and the mental health struggles that we see them going through depicted in the Star Wars movies and series. I find the reaction from fans to be very interesting. I know, obviously, <laughs> there was a lot of negative reaction about how Luke Skywalker was depicted in The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. And not quite to the same degree, but there was also some consternation about seeing how broken Obi-Wan was in the Obi-Wan Kenobi show. And I do have to say that those reactions kind of puzzle me a little bit. I think on paper, like on a superficial level, like I understand the idea that you looked up to these heroic characters and then when you see them portrayed in a... I guess, unflattering light, like showing vulnerabilities or not, mm -hmm. you know, being perfect and so heroic, so stereotypically heroic, I could, I guess I can understand like yeah, see, that I kind used of not to, sitting yeah, right. No, seriously, I, I used to have that reaction mm -hmm. when I was younger. I think I've, I've, I've outgrown it now. But when I was younger, I did not like watching the end of Empire Strikes Back because here's Luke who's lost the fight who's lost his hand, is despairing, has to be rescued by his friends and treated like very gently, like he did not save his friends. He didn't do anything he set out to do. And it <laughs> used to make me, when I was younger, very uncomfortable to see Luke like that. So I, I, I think I get it. It's just that I, I feel like I outgrew that reaction a while ago. 
I think well, that um, there's a few things that come into play. Like one, I'm sure we'll talk on in uh, about later. Uh, so I'll just touch on it now. And I love Mark Hamill, obviously, but I think the reason for the last Jedi fallout was because he said, Oh, I disagree with what they did with my character. And like, yeah. and so that opens up a whole can of worms where you McGregor didn't do that. So there's going to be less uh, issue with that. But I think what happens is for, us and of our our age group which is getting pretty long in the tooth fellas but um we grew up with you know like rambo and uh you know arnold schwarzenegger and all his stuff and they as much as i love like i love rambo to the extent my whole life that my family still calls me Bo, like as a nickname <laughs> like and i'm really? gonna be I, I, yeah. I didn't know that yeah yeah <laughs> no i have like i well uh I, and I don't like the the newer stuff and the last movie was like the worst thing I ever saw, but, but in general, but the thing is he, he gets like sad, like one time, like in uh, Rambo two, you know, he's a one he's wandering and he's a little scared in Rambo one, but like, he doesn't have any sort of like weakness or emotion. And, you know, like Arnold Schwarzenegger never showed any of that in his movies. Like commando's not sitting there like depressed, like, Oh man, my daughter's missing. He's just like, Ripper and ready to go. And so yeah, when Bruce, we're Bruce Wills is one of the first ones to sort of to sort yeah, of bring right? that sort of vulnerability to yeah kind of archetype. Yeah, th- yeah. in um in Die Hard and then especially like the last Boy Scout, uh Shane Black, you know, he was very he's like an alcohol, you know, like stuff that's been done in novels, like and writing, uh, and even in some like older movies, even though the acting's not on like what it is now because movies were different back then, but you know, some of the black and white movies deals with um mental health and like you know flawed characters that are like alcoholics or you know just something that's not like oh look how perfect and pristine i am and so you getting know back to that oh so i was just saying so getting back to those types of characters after our lives of these action heroes just always winning the day no doubt no anything like that oh it's a an alien from another planet or schwarzenegger is going to find a way to beat it like it's you know there's no anything so then we're kind of like velocitized to that right is that the right word and then all of a sudden we see something that breaks that rhythm and we're just like oh what the fuck this sucks like especially when people don't have a grasp on depression and they think it's like the ultimate weakness or something like that yeah yeah like, i mean i i guess so i i, I mean, again <laughs> like i i think what you're saying is right i just i don't know maybe i'm at a place where i just have a hard time wrapping my head around that mindset like i get it I get mm-hmm. it. The term that I keep thinking of hearing what you were saying is toxic masculinity, frankly. Yeah, yep. It's like, you know, the yeah. uh, the idea that masculinity men are very limited in the kinds of emotions and reactions they are allowed mm-hmm. to have. It's a very narrow definition of what's quote unquote acceptable behavior. So, so, and I actually frankly think that that's where a lot of the more virulent critiques are coming from, because I do think that those views are kind of comorbid with other sort of what I would consider less savory social and political views as well. Um, <laughs> I think it's sort of a reactionary, it's a reactionary impulse that's sort of about preserving this fragile, lost notion of masculinity that mm-hmm. never actually existed. Yeah. And I think it's something that like is stumps the three of us specifically is that we're all writers in, in, in some capa- capacity with screenplays or plays or novels. So the idea of like a one dimensional character 
is the least appealing thing. Yeah, it's anathema for right. for us to yeah to like yeah, wrap well, that's our minds around. As well. like, yeah, uh, just to seeing the Last Jedi was like that's the Star Wars movie that I wish I would have written. Mm, right. Yeah. So, uh, Murray, let's start with you. What character are you going to be talking about? The character I'm talking about is Watto. No, just show. Oh, <laughs> such a strong choice. I love yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, no, Obi Wan, especially because the new series really like struck me and um i was i was like wow this is like like obi-wan is one of those those characters that for the most part was very were like one-dimensional rambo style up every time we saw him right he's just he doesn't have didn't really have anything to i guess be sad about i mean you would think maybe reminiscing about your former student who like you maimed and has turned around to destroy everything you would have some emotion in talking to luke about that and stuff but overall um like alkaniston he's great don't get me wrong i'm just saying in terms of emotional depth to the character wasn't really there and then when you mcgregor first was uh obi-wan in the prequels there's just not an, a lot of emotional range that he not that for him but like that his character was expecting you know or uh, expected of so when we got to this character in the show i it really just struck me because for me it was like mental health like a depression mixed with like fear slash anxiety of being found out and then like your faith uh in what he believed in is completely rocked and um and i'm sure we'll touch on this with the last Jedi. But what I really loved about Obi-Wan is to me, there has been an, um, an uptick of characters that get so heartbroken or distressed that they throw out everything that they stood for, everything that they once loved. And they become this complete, um, like a uh, fraction of what they used to be. But to me, that's not really, what happens and um if if chris doesn't mind me uh reiterating the example that he said of his uh what he struggles with with his son is no, by like, all means go for it the way that mental health works is you have every desire every conscious desire to play and be be present and relevant and do all these things but there's just something that is blocking you from being able to do that there's some sort of veil of mental health that is that gets in the way sometimes but you don't go fuck it fuck being a dad like you know like you still like no i still yearn to to be that because that's i love my child that's that's what i want and i think that in so many of these things where like oh let's make a, a character suffer from like depression they just like the character just throws out everything that they love um and once stood for and that's what's jarring. I mean, depression also looks different for different people. And I, yes, I am not, you know, again, we're, as Josh mentioned, we're not experts or anything. We're talking about our own personal experience and, and, and everything. And we have varying sort of, uh, involvement with it. But, but I think, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense, Murray. Uh, it's for a lot of people, it's like wearing a, it's like being forced to wear a suit of, of heavy armor, play chain mail or plate mm -hmm. mail, and it slows you down or it stops you from getting up out of bed in the morning, that sort of thing. And for other people, there I think there are, you know, there certainly are people who will throw it all away and quit. I think the problem I have with that narrative is that it's been portrayed 
so often and so haphazardly mm. and without any regard for context that yeah. it's that it ends up sort of being in my opinion irresponsible because the way that i'm hearing you describe depression like i we still want to do these things but like we're being stopped is does seem to be sort of the majority of experience but the way it's but it's not portrayed that way in media right and i do think that no. there's a responsibility when you're when you're an artist to think about the context in which you're creating a thing uh, and in the context of mental health and depression specifically, I think that when creators are sloppy with that sort of portrayal and they don't think about how it will be received, um, you know, I think that's, I, I personally think that that's irresponsible. So I, I agree with what you're saying. I, I would like to see more, more of the, the, the more complexity to it state, yeah. rather than the whole, you know, fuck it, I'm giving up because that is less common and it definitely happens but i think you know again sometimes as artists we have a responsibility to the the context of the moment oh no i'm just curious do you know that it's less common for a fact because like my my thing is that seeing a character who has given up you know really what it is is that they're running away from the things that remind them of what hurts so it's sort of like well if i don't have those things that i care about in my life anymore then they won't be able to hurt me anymore this is just based on the reading that, again, as not and somebody who's not an expert, but who's done, who's read about it a, a, a pretty decent amount, I will say, over the past like six, seven years. I will say that it's um, there's there there's a thought in some circles that everybody is somewhere on the autism spectrum. We're all there somewhere, and so uh, so it's sort of it, it, based on what I've read. There's there's there are a lot of people who deal with sort of like sort of low grade depression um but it's not necessarily identified as such because there isn't a premium put on our mental health um mm. so there are a lot of people who sort of deal with that low grade depression um rather than it spiking into the more severe the more severe depression that we often see that that has people quitting on a thing or, or giving up in in movies and film and then tv and again this yeah. is just based on my own my own reading so this is very very anecdotal i mean that certainly makes sense yeah, I get why in movies they have to do it because they have a much m more compressed time frame to try to have a character change. You know, the thing is, um, I have two two quick movie examples that are not from Star Wars. I promise I'll get back to it. But um, the, <laughs> well, did the you thing do, for man. me, <laughs> thing for me, and um, this is gonna sound out there, but I think you guys will understand it. The way that I personally view depression, and I know this is like fucking weird but like i think that depression is a living breathing creature that like is inside of us and like you could if you're like familiar with depression depressive episodes you could like feel it coming like you could feel like for me i have different triggers like um one i get very nihilistic when i'm in depression things where i'm like oh fucking nothing matters like i did all this and what good did it get me and then i also get very obsessive um which i think is a trait more attributed to anxiety where i'll just watch the same shit over and over again i'm talking like community seasons one through three seasons one through three seasons like i just like as soon as i finish it i start it again um and it's so when I see myself doing that or I keep replaying a song over and over and over again, like, oh, God, if I listen to this Bruce Springsteen song one more time, I'm going to explode. But it's just like there's just something 
like to me that I'm like, okay, you know what this means. Like you, you like the, almost like the beast is, is coming back up. Like I could almost feel it like almost like a, a werewolf, but you don't like change. It's all internal, you know, like an, an inside out werewolf or something like, I don't know how to explain it, but in, in a movie, the best I've, the best two movies I think I've seen it as, and I don't think they were talking. Well, one was the Baba Duke, which is a horror movie, but it's like, that is the most, like that is depression, like in a nutshell, like the whole movie and the fact that spoiler alert, mute this if you haven't um, seen it yet. But the fact that the the Babadook cannot be defeated, it just gets like locked away and they have to like tend to it on occasion. Otherwise it gets out of control and becomes the monster again. And then um, the other one is Anomalisa, which was that Charlie Kaufman stop motion thing where everybody... Oh, it's incredible. Every character is voiced by Tom Noonan, child, adult, female. Oh my God. And Love it's Tom just Noonan. like, yeah, it's just like, oh no, that's the, like everything just seems bland and the same and yeah. there's no like spice to anything. So that's my view of um, depression. So when I see people throwing away, like characters throwing away everything that they loved and cared about, uh, I guess, especially with when it comes to Star Wars, which has a lot of like religious aspects to it. You know, of course, there are like believers of religions that just say, fuck it, I'm out. This is like garbage. But more often than not, you have people, excuse me, I'll say that I'm one of them where th- I would love more than anything, as much as I love talking about religion in the Bible, I would love more than anything to be like, fuck it. This is like not even worth it. This is horseshit um it's more grief than it's worth but then i can't like my friend um my friend jay baker he he puts it he says he's haunted by god and that's how i feel like i'm haunted by these beliefs that i cannot like walk away from it and so when i see like a luke skywalker in last jedi walk away from something that he was so instrumental in like literally he was the the last remaining Jedi for a while, you know, he saved the galaxy, saved everything. And then he gets to a point where he's like, you know what? Fuck the force. Fuck all of this. I'm out. Um, it doesn't ring true to me, but when you have like Obi-Wan and you see him going to work every day in that kind of like anomalisa, just like repetitive thing, he's got his schedule and you could tell that he hates it. You could tell that he's sad. You could tell that just like they were saying in the show, like Jedi have like this stink, like their good deeds, like leave this like trail. Like you could see that he wants to do the right thing. He wants to defend that guy that's getting pushed around at work. Like he wants to do these things and he's haunted by the, that desire to do it, but he just can't bring himself to do it. And, you know, and that's kind of um, why I tied it in with Chris's story where you have the strong desire to do something and you just, can't like do it it's hard to explain to people that haven't experienced it because it's just like like i have family members that are like oh go for a job go do this it's like oh well i don't know go fuck yourself because that's not how it works like um yeah you're gonna have to bleep like all this stuff out sorry but um <laughs> i mean listen to this podcast i don't bleep that's stuff. true but i i'm, I was gonna, I'm I was on like, say, which podcast yeah. are you listening to <laughs> i'm on like a tangent so i'm like worse than ever but like but when people don't um get it that's the type of like um, information they offer. So I could see them looking at a show like Obi-Wan or last Jedi and just like not getting it, not getting the desire to do the right thing, but just you 
you can't it's like walking through mud like you just you want to get there it's like um i i describe it sometimes as like how we know of like a functional alcoholic like you have functional depression like it's just like you get up you go to work you do the thing but you don't do anything afterwards you don't want to talk to people you don't want to do anything you just like going through the motions and so that was an aspect of obi-wan that i really loved and the fact that he still was like come on like talk to me like master where are you it's the same feeling of betrayal and feeling abandoned but still being so haunted that you can't like just let it go yeah i think you're right i think the depiction of obi-wan who's obviously very depressed and very broken when we see him in the first few episodes of the obi-wan kenobi show like it definitely is a depiction of depression that rings very true we literally do see him going through the motions like he gets up he goes to work the show makes it pretty clear that he has given up he meets that other jedi that the inquisitors are hunting and he's begging obi-wan for help and obi-wan is like no you need to Mm -hmm. forget this like we lost and it's over and for me i was really struck by how disconnected obi-wan was from the force Mm -hmm. to the point where trying to levitate an object was a big struggle for him to retap into that that state of mind to be able to do that like that hit home with me in a surprising way you know when you go through a depression and you've been sort of out of the game for a while that first time you try to do something that you used mm-hmm. to do all the time and it's like it's so like full of hard. rust and mud yeah. and yeah it's yeah like as soon as i saw it i was like yes like that really feels right like that really resonates like that really made me feel you know what he was going through in a way that i don't think that i had yeah. um and his desire to do nothing like it like into the sense of like when um jimmy smith what's his character's name bail organa yeah, yeah. He goes yeah bail organa. he's like he goes to you ask need him to... for help and he's yeah. like no he's like no and it's like and that's something that i can relate to because this is like especially when i'm in the state like i just hate doing things it doesn't it's not like oh i hate going out i hate doing like no i hate doing just doing stuff just doing things i just want to do nothing but then i'm mad at myself for not wanting to do anything like but it's so it's just like for someone to be like laying that at his feet and of course of course there is the sense of loyalty to luke but then there is a little bit of is he just using that as an excuse to get out of doing doing something that Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And I'm sure he doesn't find that he's worthy anymore because he's so rusty and stuff like that. But overall, like, it's just like, I don't, I just don't want to do it. You know, like if I was, and who knows if he was better at setting boundaries, maybe he would, wouldn't have done it in the first place, but it's just, uh, he literally lives in a cave where he has like mm-hmm. a mat on the floor. And the idea that he's been living here for 10 years. Yeah. And You know, one of the things that also happens when you're in a depression is you stop taking care of yourself and you close yourself off from other people. You keep yourself isolated, which, from my understanding, is like one of the worst things you can do for yourself when you're depressed. And also one of the insidious things about it is that a lot of what depression makes you want to do are the exact opposite things you should be doing to quote unquote, take care of yourself to get out of it. So one of the big ones is the connection and the human interaction and the community and the friendships. You need that to get you out of the depression. But what depression really does to you is, is it makes you want to be away from people and just be alone. It it isolates you. Yeah. It's a living, breathing 
creature that feeds itself and it feeds itself. And one thing that I know that I actively have to do is take my cues from other people. Like oftentimes I'm seeing kind of like a pushover me because my wife will be like, Oh, do you want to go for a walk? And I do not want to go for a walk, but I know that I have to follow her lead because yeah, exactly. Because if I give into what I want, I will be stuck here forever. So I will. So it's like, Oh, do you want so, so so-and-so wants to hang out? Do you want to go? Like, it's like, no, but yeah, let me just get, get ready to go. And then when I'm out, it helps to have a Sherpa. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. And so that is something. So I just have to open the door and let my cat out. No problem. (laughs) Speaking of Sherpas. Right. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Sorry. Um, No, that's certainly very true. And I think you can see that in Obi-Wan. He needs, he needs the prodding from Bail Organa, his friend, right? Who's like, no, I need you. You're going to do this. Right. And later, yeah. for, and later from Leia. From Le- yeah, yep. And later from Leia. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Right. Um, and then and he needs it again. Like he, you know, see, he gets it from Tala too, because he does, he starts to, it gets to a point where he needs her help too. And, and I think that's part of, that's part of what we see from depression too. Right. Is that like the onus that it puts on the people we love to, to help guide us. And the more friends and family we have, the stronger our network of support is, uh, the easier it is because it's it's spread out and because we do need sometimes we need help from from different people he was in a place where he wasn't able to hear from he wasn't able to hear what leo was saying so tala stepped in right like sometimes that's mm. that's what we need is is sort of that network of support which is also the reason why like at the end of this episode we're going to share some resources like hotlines and stuff that people can call because it's not always enough to to just rely on the people we love sometimes we we need more support than those people can provide mm. and um you know the more Frankly, you know, uh, many hands make light work and that, that applies to the support that we need when we go through, through mental health, you know, issues. For sure. And some of that, um, support also comes from like, don't, don't feel that you have to, um, be around people that don't suffer from depression because I know for me. I have support on both sides. Whereas like I could right, be, right. I could talk to to Josh and just be like, Oh no, man, I I've been MIA, you know, I'm, I'm going through it right now. Just like my mental game's not there. And like, he, he gets it, you know, <laughs> it's not like a, there's no like, Oh, why don't you just try turning that frown upside down? Like he just like, like you, 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 you get it because you've been there. So having people that understand you be Sherpas also, like, it's almost like a, leapfrogging like all right now help me i'll help you it's a shared experience which is good but you're still talking to somebody who is not a mental health professional which is why sometimes these resources are really important because you know it's it, friends don't always know how to stop us from spiraling sometimes they yeah, think yep. they're being supportive but really what they're doing is they're facilitating spiraling and spiraling is not productive and if you called like 988 they can they can re- gently redirect you because that's what they've been trained for right so like so I think that it's, it, it depends. Sometimes what we need can come from a friend and sometimes it can't, sometimes it needs to come from a professional yeah. because you're right. Like it's, it's an attempt to support, but it sort of ends up being, a uh, 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 like an echo chamber. Yeah. Right, right. Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and everybody go to therapy. Therapy teaches you one thing and that's everybody should be going to therapy. I could yeah, not I agree. I, I, I agree. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's I not a bad thing. It's not a negative thing. Everybody just go to therapy. Not to get off on too much of a tangent, but I think there's a belief that you only avail yourself of these resources when you are in active crisis. Right. Like you only see a therapist when you're in a depression or when something really awful is happening. But especially if you're someone prone to depression or other mental health struggles, I really think that it's it's kind of like a muscle that I think you need to mm -hmm. um, stay in Definitely. good mental shape, like mental yeah. fitness, so that when you do fall off the horse or whatever the metaphor is, I'm currently right, <laughs> right now, it's not that you don't get hurt. But you recover quickly and the damage is that much less, right? When you're, playing, so, when you're playing a game, damage prevention and armor are much more useful than healing. Oh, no, we want to be able to heal. But sometimes you've taken like yeah. enough damage that it's a really tall order. Why not prevent yeah, damage in the yeah. first place? And Yep. Yeah. So and it's interesting, too, because in the context of Star Wars, like I know there are medical droids. I don't know if there are therapy droids. Yeah. Um, yeah but I think the way that Obi-Wan Kenobi depicted the mental state of Obi-Wan certainly rang very true. And um, very true for someone who hasn't experienced any of that until then. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, he yeah, was I'm glad like, you mentioned that because that is 100%, yeah. you know, what I what I planned on talking about tonight as well is is seeing a person react to that when they haven't had to deal with it before. Yeah, yes, when you're but, always on top of the mountain, it's, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, so Chris, let's talk about your character. Sure. I was going to be talking about Luke and, um, sorry, Luke, Luke, who Luke. Uh, oh, so you know him in relation to Watto. So basically what happened was Watto. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. That's a, uh, um, Oh, Watto's slave's yeah. son, right? Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. Yeah. He's a minor character. He just passes in the back. Right. Everything. Yeah. Star Wars through the lens of Watto. <laughs> so, you know, when we're talking about Luke Skywalker, Thank you for clarifying. Oh, Star Killer, yes. Star yes. Killer, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because I went back and I rewatched The Last Jedi. I didn't feel the need to watch the original trilogy because I feel like I know them well enough. But it was interesting going back and rewatching The Last Jedi because aside from some of the humor that for me sort of doesn't work at the beginning of the movie, it just reminded me of what what a strong, I thought, portrayal it was of Luke. Um, that he's that he's struggling with this and mm -hmm. uh, you know it's it's interesting because you, you mentioned it earlier murray you mentioned this idea of, of giving up on a thing and walking away from it and and how that 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 hit you the wrong way with luke mm -hmm. in this movie and the more i was thinking about it um it's not that he it, it goes more i think hand in hand with what you were describing earlier josh and i think what we see obi-wan do right which is obi-wan decides that his responsibility is luke period full stop and he uses that as a reason to not engage in other places, right? Luke does the same thing. He decides the Jedi have to end. The only way the Jedi can end is if nobody ever finds the sacred Jedi texts and this mm. temple. And so by isolating himself there, he has removed the only person who could teach Jedi in the galaxy. And he's preventing people from somehow stumbling upon the ancient Jedi text, because it's important to him that this not be perpetuated. It's important to him that he be the last Jedi. So what he has done is he has found a different purpose. And it's not really, even though he sort of starts to teach Ray, it's not mm -hmm. really until he talks to Yoda and Yoda yeah. reminds him, you know, this is, we are what they grow beyond. That is the true fate mm -hmm. of all masters. Mm -hmm. Um, 
you know, he, he, Luke had never really outside of empire, which there aren't really any lasting consequences. Luke has not failed before, right? We see in new hope. Um, he may be like, we don't really see him blame himself for Obi-Wan's death. Like he's upset that Obi-Wan is gone, but he doesn't really seem to blame himself for, for Ben's death. Um, and then in empire, you know, he, he fails to beat Vader and that stings, but nobody gets hurt because of him. Right. Even though he was told his, that this, that the struggle his friends were going through would be undone. He doesn't any, any drawback to him showing up in cloud city is not, does not appear to be noticed by him. And then we've got Return of the Jedi where he does succeed in turning Vader. He does succeed in saving his father. He does succeed, apparently, though, it would be undone later, in destroying the Emperor. <laughs> um, you know, he's never really dealt <laughs> with failure before. And I think one of the most interesting things with regards to Luke's depression, and I do think it is depression, is that mm. He's, be- he's been forgiven by the person whose forgiveness he craves most. It's Leia. Leia told him that she doesn't blame him. He says this. He acknowledges it. And this is another thing about depression, right? Is that intellectually, he understands that Leia doesn't blame him because he's the one who tells Rey. But yeah. he, doesn't, he doesn't forgive himself. But mentally and emotionally, he's like, oh, she's just saying that. Right. Like, exactly. you know, he's yeah, just yep. saying that she's being the strong one because, because yep. she's always the strong one, right? And he says the line, like Han was very Han about it. The notion of, you know, Ben being trained by him. Han was very Han mm-hmm. about it. But, but this was what Leia wanted. And the struggle that Luke has, and it's not until Ray helps pull him out of it. It's not until Yoda steps in and does something about it. Burns um, the Jedi text. He's like, fuck it. No one right. can have him. It doesn't burns, change anything. And then he yeah. and then he talks to Luke he, and he says, still your eyes always on the horizon, not on the here and the now <laughs> and reminding him, you know, why this is important. And he does say that we lost. Um, he says, you know, you lost Ben Solo. We cannot afford, mm. you cannot afford to lose Ray. He says mm. that actually he says we cannot afford to lose Ray. So it's, it's again, that support system. It's, the two of them together right yeah that's a bit other jedi like, um people underestimate the power of the word we when right. you're going through shit right um and he says specifically he says the greatest teacher failure is but luke mm. doesn't know that he doesn't <laughs> know that because he hasn't really failed before so yeah. when he fails on this monumental scale where most of his students are murdered by his star pupil who takes the remaining living students to the dark side. Um, Mm. That's failure on a monumental scale. And so I, it was interesting because the more I thought about the more I was like, this is a, this is a situational depression and he's not going to be able to escape it unless he gets help for it. But it's a situation that caused it, which I can relate to because I spoke about it earlier, that situational depression is something that people go through. And, and even though, my situational situational depression is over because the situation that caused it is for me personally, more or less over. Um, there's still fallout to deal with, Mm. even though I'm not depressed anymore, I am still dealing with the fallout of that. And so I think until Luke gets the help that he needs, it just, it just fucking lingers, you know, it just hangs over him. So it's really interesting in my mind, watching the last Jedi, through that particular lens, through that lens of depression is super interesting because it's not that he is sort of quit on his task, right? It's that he has repurposed himself. And so that's sort of how he justifies stepping away 
is that this is the priority is ending the Jedi, not saving the universe, not saving the galaxy. Yeah, like trying to like stop the pain before it happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, one and feeling like he's being productive yeah. in a way too, because he's he's doing the thing he thinks is most important, or at least he has convinced yeah. himself is most important. One one thing that you touched on is that a major stumbling point with mental health is there is a fallout that does happen from depressive episodes, and I've seen people mainly my dad when he was alive not grasp that and so whenever he would have an upswing from his like manic depression state he would inst- almost instantly go back into it because people would still be upset by or hurt by things he said or did or didn't do and he was almost kind of like no but that was i was like you know not myself so but almost like saying sorry as if that like unrings bells and unspills milk and stuff like that but it's just like no like if you like he would have done a lot better to understand that once you're out of your depressive state or the you're on the upswing you still have ramifications that you almost have to close those loops out otherwise they will linger and fester in those people and so when um you mentioned the aftermath. I forgot the exact context because I started thinking about this rant. Um, but the but that is a major component in mental health that people um kind of overlook is like even though you're out of a, a swing, like um the low point, you know, you're out of the valley, there still might be residual stuff that you have to deal with from pain or sadness or hurt that you've caused in that state and no one's blaming you for it but there is still stuff that you have to yeah yeah no no and it's interesting too because sometimes the very thought of that having to like quote unquote clean up the mess that you made can sort of make you take longer to come out yeah because you know that you like have the pile of dirty laundry in the Mm -hmm. corner of the room is getting bigger and bigger and bigger it's like there's a variation of a meme uh, that I see all the time. It's like, you know, this horrible task that has been giving me so much anxiety for weeks and weeks. I just spent 15 minutes and I got it done. And now it's like so. But that is a real thing, though. The idea that, you know, I could imagine Luke. I mean, it must have crossed his mind, like if he ever left his self-imposed exile and he'd be like, oh, I'll have to talk to Leia and I'll have to talk yeah. to Han. Han, yeah, I'll have to, to see like, everybody. I'll have to face them. And like that idea. Yeah. And Chris, I thought that your read was very insightful, particularly the idea that Luke is someone who's never had to face this kind of failure on this scale mm. before. And, um, you know, the first time that you experience like a major depressive episode, it's sort of like you think that's it. Like, you know, this is just what yeah, this my is life, life is now. now. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. Yep. Sort of in line with that train of thought. Something that that also really strikes me about where we find Luke in The Last Jedi is I'm sorry, who? this idea. <laughs> <laughs> Watto's slave son. What sorry, right, thank you. Yeah, right, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the things that really strikes me about Luke in The Last Jedi is this idea that you can do the thing. You can win the greatest struggle. You can achieve the impossible. You can have your moment, but then there's still more work that you have to do, right? Like this idea that you think it's over, this thing you've been working toward, you did it, you achieved it, and 
no, there's still more that you have to do. And there are still opportunities to fuck up. Like when Luke says dripping with this venom almost in The Last Jedi, he's like, because I was Luke Skywalker. Jedi. Oh, that scene. Yeah. I gotta tell you, if you have not gone back for listeners, if you have not gone back and watched that scene, it is, ooh, it's a rough watch because I really think for as much as Mark Hamill disagreed with the direction that Luke went in, I thought he, he did really a, nails I, it. I thought he did a I great think, job in that scene. I think once he got into actually like going past reading the script and into it, I think he was probably like, oh, I shouldn't have said anything because I no, fucking well, get so, it now. So, but he's also said he thinks that The Last Jedi has the depth and the complexity that The Empire Strikes Back has. Like he, he, yeah. he I think, realizes there's a lot of stuff there and it kind of needs the time to be sort mm -hmm. of sat with. So, but the thing I was saying about Luke, like he sort of has this contempt, I think, for the hubris of his past self, you know, yeah. thinking he could rebuild the Jedi and he was wise enough to do it. And his nephew was safe being trained under his auspices. And then I think mm -hmm. when he went through what he went through and it all blew up in his face, he was also pissed off at the hubris of the Jedi. Oh, mm -hmm. no, absolutely. He talks about it. He talks about how he's like, you know, under the Jedi, they allowed Sidious to to wipe them at the height of their power, at the height of the Jedi power. Mm -hmm. They allow Darth Sidious to destroy the Republic, create the Empire and wipe out the Jedi all in one fell swoop. And I and they is, also created Darth Vader and they create Vader. Mm -hmm. So like there is and, and he, it's not it, it's he's created by his Jedi teacher. It's not incidental, right? Because that's that's what he does. He blames Obi-Wan for Vader's fall in the way he sort of phrases it. He says it was his teacher. And which of course resonates mm -hmm. with Luke because Luke feels he's as though Ben's he's the teacher, one. Yeah. He's the right. Ben is his fault. And it's really interesting because I like what you say about the legend and the way he just he drips with this this condescension and this disgust. Because I know this came before, and spoiler alert for The Mandalorian, but like, we <laughs> see Legend Luke, right? Yeah. We see him stride yep. in, in his, in his little X-Wing, like they, like they're in the control room and they're going one X-Wing, and he walks yeah. in and he just takes down all of these dark troopers without breaking yeah. a sweat. Like, there's never yep. a moment no, where we don't yeah. do it, right? So he does. So we see Luke at the height of his powers. And so if you watch it in that context, which again, Last Jedi came first, but like, I think that scene becomes even more powerful because we see that Luke bought into his own legend for that hubris that you were describing, Josh. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. Well, so, so the other thing he's smarting from that, but then again, this is his first experience with this kind of disappointment, this kind of failure, this kind of depression, and the idea that there's still work to be done, like this isn't the end. And in some ways, you know, when you're on the inside of a depression, the thought that this is not the end, that there is more mm. to be done that you will have to do, can sometimes add insult to injury. And that can make it even harder to get out of the place, knowing that you have to pull yourself out of this again. Yeah. yeah, no, I'm so glad. It's, it's you... like pre-exhaustion. Like you're exhausted before you even attempt the task. Like just thinking about it makes you exhausted. And this is the exhausted. other thing too about Luke is that because it's his first time dealing with that kind of failure and his first time, as far as we know, dealing with depression, you don't know that you need help when you need help. And Luke doesn't know that he needs help because there mm -hmm. is no help that can, that can help him, right? Like 
So it's, it's, that's the other insidious part of depression is if you haven't really been able to identify it before, and sometimes even if you've been through it before, you can't always identify when you need help and you don't, you don't go out and get it. Like what you were saying earlier, Josh, you don't go out and get help when you don't think you need it. Yeah. And the, the thing that, again, I'm no expert, I'm no anything, but there's something to be, to keep in mind that when you're in a depressive state, the goalposts move and that's not a bad thing. Like I've had friends that say like when they're going through it and they're like, oh, it took me till like one o'clock to get out of bed and showered. And I'm like, with all honesty, no irony, no anything. I'm like, but you got out of bed and you showered. That's huge. Maybe yesterday that was just would have been nothing. That would have been not, not even worth thinking about. But the fact that today you're so deep into it, but you still managed to get out of bed and take a shower. That's like, that's, that's equivalent. Yeah. Of like climbing Everest and maybe tomorrow will be easier. Or you're like, Oh, I, I barely had energy to, to eat lunch. So I just made a peanut butter sandwich. Like, but you got up and you ate and that's fucking huge today. And it wouldn't tomorrow. Maybe it's a piece of cake, but today, like it's okay to move the goalposts because they have to move because when you're so deep in the, in depression, like you hold yourself to a non-depressed standard and that's not fair. Well, so, so that brings up a really interesting point as well. Like, uh, you know, talking about kind of grading everything on a curve mm-hmm. when you're like a jedi master the last jedi who is <laughs> who defeated legend, the emperor yeah you have farther to fall and i think when you also buy into the legend i think the failure does not compute which compounds the failure and compounds the depression because it's sort of like mm-hmm. how could this have happened to yeah. me yeah of all people to me, like I saved the world. I saved the galaxy, not even the world. I saved the galaxy. How could this yeah. happen to me? Yep. And I defeated Darth Vader and I did all this stuff. So, so I mean, to me, the thing that is really um, kind of inspiring to me about Luke in The Last Jedi is it's a reminder that for heroes who we look up to, the work is never done. You can win the battle, you can win the day, but it's not because you are just that great and you're going to win every time. It's like, no, it's because choosing to work at something and choosing to be good is a choice that takes a lot of effort that you have to work at every single day. It's not just something that is going to happen. And I think the choice to be good, the choice to be a hero, the choice to do the right thing, the choice to go after it, whatever it is, that's uh, a commitment you have to recommit yourself to every day. And you can stumble. And I think for Luke, who had never failed at something that large before, I think he didn't, you know, know how to handle that. Uh, Going off of that, there's this imagery um, and it it fits into this episode, even though it has nothing to do with Star Wars, is there's a the TV show Scrubs. I actually can't watch it anymore because it was like the first show that when I was at my lowest point, I just watched it. I can't even tell you how many times I watched nothing but Scrubs. I didn't watch anything else on TV, just Scrubs on repeat on DVDs. So it's like I, as much as I like the show, it's like going back to that time frame of my mind is is rough. But there is this great, great episode in which the John C. McKinley character, um, Dr. Cox, there's a big thing in which he hasn't lost a patient all day. He's doing an all day shift, 24 hours, and he hasn't lost a single patient. So they're trying to treat it like a, like a baseball game, like a perfect game. Like nobody talked to him. Like he's, he's throwing a perfect game. And then it's like 1155 and one of his patients starts flatlining 
and they're like doing compressions and everything like that. And the patient passes away with five minutes left. And then the character of Elliot's like, wait, it's only me and you in here. Let's not say anything. It's just five minutes. And then you'll have that, the perfect game. And Dr. Cox, the John C. McKinley is like, there's nothing wrong with throwing a one hitter. Like we did our best and this is what happens. But the line that sticks out to me is like, you better buckle up because the next game starts in five minutes, you know? So like kind of what you were saying, that continuum of like, not to be all Buddhist, but like life is a, a journey, right? It's not a destination because if you look at it as a destination, then it's like, all right, now what? Okay. Now what? I've reached this destination. Now what? But what it is, is just a cycling, a cycle of like fail again, fail better, right? That's Samuel Beckett. I think fail again, fail better, fail again, fail better. And so, you know, yeah. Yeah, if we're dealing with with Luke, uh, getting back to to that, like who's never dealt with failure and he's never felt the that like it, to him the destination is like no, I reached the destination and I failed. But in reality, it's like no, the next game starts in five minutes. Fail again, fail better. So yeah, so so this idea, you know, Luke was always a very like naive kind of character, and so to me, the idea that that's his reaction to being faced with this huge failure to me reads very true. It's like he, mm-hmm. he, he has to yes. learn this lesson that he's never learned. And it goes to show that Yoda who has experienced this level of loss yes. many times over is the one that's just like, dude, like fuck the texts. We are the text. Like, you know, not to keep repeating myself, but the next game starts in five minutes and this girl needs you. So you got to get it together, you know? Well, and Yoda remembers, you know, he, he tried to, he tried to take, teach Luke. We see that in Empire. He tried to teach Luke mm-hmm. and Luke didn't want to learn that lesson and he sort of just never did. And just yeah. just like that, whatever, kind of like Luke is always bringing, like seeing what he brings with him, right? You know, that that's a... Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> right. No, that's... Wow, yeah. You just blew my mind. <laughs> um, because no, I mean, that's very true. I mean, not for nothing, like this is kind of a tricky line I want to walk because depression obviously is a very real phenomenon that is not, it's not all in your head, mm-hmm. but it is, right? Yeah, like, yeah, 100%. Like, yep. And like some of the things that you can do to kind of fortify your mind and train your mind is like all sorts of meditation practices and all sorts of things. You know, there's a phenomenon called negative self-talk where you don't maybe realize it, But the way you are talking to yourself internally is reinforcing this narrative, this view of the world and of yourself that is very negative, Mm. right? And, you know, it's a tricky thing because you're so used to sort of sitting in your your own subjective experience of yourself and the world's like, you know, this like soup of your own thoughts and feelings and everything Mm -hmm. that that you lose the the perspective that would help you navigate these struggles not not solve them or prevent them from happening no navigate is a perfect way to say it yeah yeah well that's i mean that's buddhism right the buddhism of you know don't try and don't try and avoid the pain this brings more pain yeah the secret is not minding that it hurts boom circle back round baby well so just really quickly i want to discuss a third character which is anakin skywalker slash oh wato slave yeah yes wato slave exactly okay so Anakin Skywalker slash Darth Vader, who I don't think you necessarily think of when you think of mental health struggles, but 
I think the psychology of Anakin is really interesting. And where he finds himself, he kind of ends up in a depression of his own making. And it's interesting because I think in so many ways, he's very emotionally immature. And I think the combination of him being inducted into the Jedi at the age that he was, I think was a recipe for disaster. You sound just like the council, man. Jeez, what a nor. <laughs> well, well, so, but, so, but <laughs> no, what, so, so I've said this in the past. What's interesting about the Jedi when we see them in the prequels is they know that fear of loss and attachment and all of these intense emotions can lead someone to fall to the dark side. And then what the Jedi have done is they have just made it so they separate you from your attachments when you're a very small child. <laughs> So you don't have any, so yeah. you don't have to worry about that. God, that's so and creepy then, when you think about it. So, but it's interesting though, like when you, when you try to kind of codify this institution of the Jedi, that's supposed to be very spiritual and everything. When you codify it, you make these rules for how to be a Jedi. Like you try to, you know, kind of nip these things in the bud and like, you can't, mm -hmm. you can't make everyone Zen. Like there's no foolproof yeah. way to do that. So their solution is like kind of scary, but the reason is, so when Anakin, he's what, he's nine years old, he's 10 years old Something in episode like that, one, yeah. he was taken away from his mother. And what's very interesting is that he was a slave. So his view of power is like very binary. The powerful have control over the weak. And I think his way of seeing the world is very black and white. And I don't think he can separate the desire for power. If you have the power, then that's good. Might makes right. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Like, Thank you. Thank like you. He, yes. He's like such a good cautionary tale of people that, besides being like misled and, and, and tricked and stuff like that, but if he has the power, he could do things correctly that other people were not able to do. Exactly. But he's so corrupted that that just the power envelops and then he's just all of a sudden empire. You know, it's like it's a, it's a little comically fast how quick he comes to these conclusions. But I understand the movie had a time crunch, but there's like, um, do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like seeing it slow burn might have been better, but the, he does fit in this um the, uh, this talk of mental health, even though he's like the ultimate villain, because just in. um uh shit revenge of the sith um where he like he thinks that everyone's against him and he's seeing all these things that are, are not true like oh you brought obi-wan here like you guys are teaming up against me you're like and when you get uh, the a strange thing about depression is you get very selfish and self-centered at the same time that you're thinking that no one cares about you. It's a very weird thing. Like you think that yeah, like, no one's yeah, thinking like about you, think you but that, everybody's thinking You think about that you're you. being singled out and that the world is against you, right? Yeah. Like, but at the same time, no one gives a shit about you. Like it's very weird. And so he is like, oh, you, everyone's out to get me. And then, you know, all those other things kick in of like, they're just jealous or they're scared or like, um, stuff and yes yeah it's well, very fitting so the other interesting thing though i don't think he has another model for feeling love and compassion beyond possession oh because of his experience as a slave and his understanding of power dynamics so mm. when he's faced with losing his wife he's clearly freaking out 
And the Jedi are very ill-equipped to know how to handle this. There's a scene that I go to all the time in Revenge of the Sith where he goes to Yoda for help, essentially. And Yoda basically says, you have to train yourself to let go of everything that you fear to lose. And that's like the opposite of what's helpful for Anakin to hear right now. He's right. He's saying, I am scared because I am about to lose something I love and I don't know how to handle it. And Yoda's essentially like, well, figure out how to not care about that. Right. There's a sort of there's a sort of Buddhist teaching in there, but not handled in a Buddhist way at all. Yeah. Well, so so because I don't think they have the tools to know what to do with this. And there's um there's this this song I had to look up the I forgot the band's name is Jared Mees and the Grown Children, but they have this line. The line goes, and I'm trying to love what I know will leave, and I'm trying not to grieve prematurely. And that's like that's like Anakin's struggle, right? Like he's so scared of losing, he's only focused, like he's grieving prematurely a loss that hasn't happened yet. And like because of that. He suffers that loss, which he's ill, like, uh, does not have the ability to. Eyes on the horizon, not on the here and the now. Yeah. Mm. Yep. No, that's very true. So obviously, when Anakin is confronted with all of this, he he compensates for the loss by blaming everyone around him and... Except for himself, yeah. Except for himself. And he he just becomes very hateful and very angry. And that's the prison of his own making that he's in for the next 20... 25 years. <laughs> yeah. I know it's really interesting. I came across this quote on Instagram of all places. There's an account called Star Wars Conres, C O N R E S, short for Star Wars and Conflict Resolution. <laughs> and they interviewed a bunch of, I guess, experts about conflict resolution and negotiation and how it intersects with Star Wars. And there's this one quote in regards to the conflict and the transformation. Darth Vader. The quote is, in many ways, Anakin becomes the opposite of his former self. Indeed, in times of stress, it becomes easier to define ourselves by what we are not as opposed to what Mm. we are. Damn, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that makes sense. Yeah, and I read that, and all of a sudden, the Anakin-Darth Vader separation, like, kind of made a lot of sense. Like, whereas previously, I had sort of seen them as two separate characters. Like, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. The idea that when faced with this horrible loss, he redefined himself as the opposite of everything that he was. Mm -hmm. No, I've seen that, like, again, with my dad and his struggles with mental health, he because when I was young, so when he my dad was maybe two or three years older than we are now, because I think we're all the same age, but um, he got very sick and he was sick for the remainder 30 years of his life. And so he lost his ability to do a lot of things. He used to run marathons. He ran like five of them. He used to cycle like 60 miles, like on like a like a road bike and all this stuff he used to play sports and then for the remainder of his life even to the when he was old enough that he would not have been able to do those things anyways he always just like judged himself by everything that he couldn't do he couldn't run anymore he couldn't cycle anymore and he didn't want to play golf because he wasn't going to be able to drive the ball like i don't know how many yards that he used to you know like so everything about his identity came about like, oh, he can't work anymore. So, like, everything was what he was not. And, like, everything, rather than focusing on the here and now and 
what he could do, it was almost like he lost all the value that he saw in himself because he always just saw what he was not. Well, and that also so like, lines up, I think. And thank you for sharing that, Murray. Uh, oh, no problem. But, you know, that really, that also lines up with, because all the characters we're talking about here are male. And that does mm. line up with um, the way masculinity has, has been sort of defined and forged in this country has to do with this, this notion of, of um, there's a purpose to otherizing. There are many purposes to otherizing. And one of the reasons to otherize is because those are quote unquote shortcomings. The standard is the standard in this country is cis straight, you know, hetero male, white male. Okay. <laughs> That's the standard. Um, you know, so you end up in this situation too, when it comes to depression and what you're describing as defining yourself by all the things that you are not, uh, that stands in interestingly in direct contrast to the purpose of otherizing as it relates to masculinity in this country. And so I think that's, that's interesting too, because the characters that we're talking about, again, they, they're all men who are affected by depression and how easy it is to spiral and start defining yourself by the things you are not, which end up being a weakness, which is also, again, how, how otherizing works is defining these are, these are flaws. These are problems to be fixed. Absolutely. And I think, you know, something that's really interesting to me about Anakin Skywalker and his fall you know, and I've said this a lot in the last few years, I think we all had a similar experience seeing it almost 20 years ago now when, you know, his fall seemed kind of abrupt and seemed kind of um, hard to accept the depiction of it. Mm -hmm. In the last five to 10 years or so, I've really reevaluated that because we see a lot of dispossessed, angry young men who <laughs> kind of have started to believe these horrible, not true things in response to this, you know, sense of desperation or frustration or confusion or, you know, not getting the things that they have been led to believe are rightfully theirs and like trying to come up with an explanation for it. And I think when I see Anakin Skywalker now in the prequels, I see a cautionary tale, a depiction of an angry young white man who, <laughs> um, who is acting out and who turns into an evil monster and the whole galaxy pays for it. And I don't think it's a coincidence that this individual story, the story of this one individual is intertwined with the fall of a cosmopolitan democracy into a totalitarian fascist state. Because I think there is a connection there. Yeah, I think um, kind of also touching on what you said when we were talking about the, um, I'm not meaning selfish or self-centered in a, like the way that it's normally used, because when I'm talking about you're depression, talking about I'm the, also talking, talking about the literal about definition, that yeah, there's not like, necessarily um, good or bad to it. Yeah. Yeah. And so there is what we're seeing now in that same vein is this, like this selfish, like the whole world's against me type vibe. And it's coming through in very dangerous ways where there's people of power and stuff, but also in like things that make your me like roll my eyes, like um, say any story that's told on TV or movie that is from a female's point of view or a minority's point of view or heaven help us a, a minority a female, then it's just kind of like, there's like, Oh, there's this agenda to it. All this like woke stuff. There's an agenda. It's like, no, not every story that's not about a white male 
is an attack or an agenda. You know, it's just like like the example that I'm thinking of the most besides She-Hulk, uh, even though that was a, a comic as far as I know, um, is the new Predator movie. It's getting like like almost like hate bomb reviewed because oh, of course it needs to be, you know, like a Native American female that does all this stuff. It's like, but that's not, there's no like agenda to it. Like other people have stories to tell. But when we get into this mindset where everything is against, like, um, I was going to say against me, but I love that band and I don't want to bring negative connotations to the phrase, but everything's against us, like, uh, and an attack on us, even when it has nothing to do with us. And that kind of is also where we find Anakin, especially towards the, the third movie is everything's a purposeful attack on him when it's like, but it's, it's not you're like, you're just there, man. Well, that's very interesting. You know, my closing thought that I think is relevant to all three of these examples is that, you know, something we do have to remind ourselves is that in the context of these stories, the stakes really, really are that high, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like everything is a little bit heightened, right? So I think, that these thoughtful, naturalistic depictions of characters struggling with mental illness do have to live alongside literal galactic. <laughs> sure, rem- sure uh, ramifications, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so it can be kind of tricky. I would just say that I appreciate the attempt to show the other side, the not-so-great side of heroism. Yeah, very true. I would say. Uh, what about you guys? Any closing thoughts? I think I've said everything that I've ever thought in my life on this topic. So I think, <laughs> I think we're good. But uh, everybody, this is important to talk about. Take the stigma out of it. You don't have to go bragging about being depressed, but take the stigma out of it so people are more comfortable knowing that they're not alone. I highly encourage therapy. Um, and yeah, that's uh, that's where I am. I also co-signed the uh the seeking therapy. I think it's, I think it's good for everybody. And I'll just reiterate that it's not just for when you're in crisis. I think it's actually yes. most effective and most useful to do it semi-regularly. You don't have yes, to do it every yeah. week. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it, it's um, proactive. Um, and also to be clear, when I say preventative, I don't mean it will prevent depression. That's not how it works. It's a preventative from, you know, from it being worse than maybe it could be. Um, yeah. It gives you the tools to it gives you the tools to navigate it that's a that's the phrase that was yeah. used, the word that was used earlier navigate and i think it's great let's stick with that but i mean like if you break your leg if you're like you know like a healthy athlete who's in great shape you will recover much more completely and much more rapidly versus like if you're really out of shape and you don't take care of yourself and you break your leg you may have a harder time recovering Re- rehab might yeah. take longer yeah chris i know you have some resources handy for any of our listeners who are struggling I do. Yeah, thanks. Um, And I will say that's sort of my parting thought on this is that, um, you know, there there are resources that will help out there, but that doesn't that also shouldn't invalidate the experience that you have. Um, I would say that the 988 suicide and crisis lifeline that's that's now available, I think, is great. Uh, It's the U.S. based suicide prevention network. It's over 160 crisis centers that provide 24 seven service via toll free Mm -hmm. hotline. Again, the number is 988 and that's available to anyone suicidal crisis or emotional distress okay so it's not just for suicide it is for for mental health crisis as well um i would say visit nami.org that's n-a-m-i.org and josh i don't know if you can you can share some of these links that i'm going to mention 
uh, in the in the show sure. notes or whatever. That would be great. Um, but Absolutely. NAMI is just an amazing organization. It's the National uh, Alliance on Mental Illness. They have, uh, I believe, it's I want to say it's fifty chapters across the across the country. Um, but they do they do really really terrific work. They provide resources, and this is not just for people dealing with mental health issues. They also run workshops and provide services for friends and family of people who are dealing with that. Um, so it's support for your support system too. So I uh, can't say enough good things about NAMI. And then the last thing I want to share is um, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. They have a national helpline, uh, S-A-M-H-S-A. So they've got, a, they've got a helpline as well. It's free, it's confidential, 24-7. Um, and they have uh, referral treatment, referral and information service for individuals and families facing mental and or substance use disorders in English and in Spanish. That's 1-800-662-HELP, 1-800-662-4357. And, um, you know, even if you don't think you need those resources, sometimes it's worth writing the number down or it's worth knowing 988 because somebody else might need it. Um, you know, it's nice to have access to these resources and know that they're there because not everybody else knows that they exist. And, um, you know, on a, on a personal level, I've, I've been working for, uh, I volunteered for a while and now I work there, um, with, a a, a helpline for domestic survivors of domestic and sexual violence. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, a lot of people will call looking for shelter and that's, that's not what we do. We connect them with shelters in our area and beyond and, uh, excuse me. And sometimes that's what they're looking for. They're looking for phone numbers. And, you know, I, I know that you could quote unquote, just Google it, but it's not always that easy, mm -hmm. especially when somebody's in crisis. So those yeah. are some, those are some, I think, great resources for people who are awesome. struggling with depression or know people who are struggling with depression. Uh, there is help out there. And sometimes it does take more than one try, but it, but you're worth it. So that's, that's it for me. For sure. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Chris, for compiling that and for sharing it. And again, uh, those will be in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show on your podcast platform of choice. We are TrashComPod.com and TrashComPod across all social media. And we'll see you on the next one. <laughs>